Hello and welcome to Startup 107 podcast. My name is Sumit Patil and this podcast is about exploring the unexplored startup stories around the world and please make sure to subscribe to this podcast on any platform you're listening on and without further ado let's get into today's episode. So hello and welcome to Startup 107 podcast. My name is Sumit Patil and in today's episode I'm joined by Bill Spawn. Uh Bill is the president and CEO of truetechtools.com which is a leading e-commerce distributor of advanced tools and test instruments for HVAC and energy audit industries. Uh Bill is also a podcaster. He has a podcast uh, named Building HVAC Science where he shares his knowledge and experience about HVAC industry. Uh Bill also has four patents on his name which is pretty insane. Uh, he also serves on uh, several different boards of several different associations uh, related to HVAC industry. Bill, first of all, the list of things you're involved in and the list of things which you've been able to accomplish is brilliant. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, please, please to be here and, and uh, share my story if you can help people. Awesome. Thank you, Bill. So, uh, tell us a bit more about yourself, Bill. So, um, I, th- I think I have a natural curiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to ask questions uh, about things uh and that came from my youth uh i used to take things apart and occasionally put them back together okay um i always liked science and uh got into engineering i got a degree in engineering and found this uh field of heating and air conditioning heating ventilation air conditioning hvac to be very interesting and love the fact that it helped people mm-hmm. um and could make people more comfortable safer uh and then the the idea of energy efficiency kind of came together in my mind and i started to work with groups that look at making buildings more energy efficient so all that came together and i worked for some manufacturers and i say i built the business out of frustration i was frustrated to see that the um the products that i was representing from the manufacturer were not being appreciated uh at the point of sale so another guy and i uh started true tech tools because we thought we could convey the value in the product to have people appreciate it and buy it and i think we were right absolutely that that's great to hear bill but uh, correct me if i'm wrong but you're first generation us citizen right uh yeah i've seen a lot of immigrant success stories especially the first generation one what is so different about uh you know immigrants and uh what what is the change in mindset which would lead to so many success stories i think it's the way you're raised mm-hmm. it's what you experience uh what you're taught to value mm-hmm. um for for myself um so my grandparents were immigrants okay uh from sicily mm-hmm. and uh they didn't have much and they came to the us to 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 get more and do more for their families and um and then my my parents lived through the great depression Okay. So there wasn't much to go much to go around and I think that sort of that mindset carried over uh as well as like a respect for nature mm-hmm. and and um just wanted to do something to to make a difference uh in a small way make a small difference. Absolutely, absolutely. So Bill uh so if I was with you in college or maybe in high school who was Bill at that point of time were you more focused on academics or were you more of a hustler you know? was building or creating some kind of businesses always i i think in high school i was more of a, a nerd an academic mm-hmm. i was on the chess team we had okay. competitive chess okay um i hung around uh this is before the days of terminals for computers so i 
uh, used to do a lot of uh, card punch keying of, okay. of data and then the stacks to write the program. Uh, so those, those are some of the memories that stick with me uh, from high school that the people I hung around with and, um, you know, a little, little bit of a nerd, um, but also at, at home, like to take things apart and, and help my dad fix things. Okay, so always maybe um, fixing things. Yeah, yeah, and, but understanding how they work too, the curiosity okay. aspect, yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, so uh, I you did uh, touch base on the two uh, tech tools and how it started, uh, but yep. would love if you could you know, uh, tell us the startup story and how it, you know, kind of, uh, you kind of got involved into it. Sure, so uh, there's a guy that, that worked with me, uh, his name is Jim Bergman, and he was a teacher of HVAC to high school students at a career center. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a lot of questions on how the products I was selling at the time worked. So as I worked with them, I discovered he had a very creative mind. And he then came to work for me part-time as, as an advisor mm -hmm. uh, to help us connect the tools with the contractors. Um, during that time, his dad got the idea to start an internet business, and this was 2006 to sell tools. And uh, so I worked with him and his dad collaboratively through from 2007 to 2008. And at the end of 2008, the business was growing and beyond being just an advisor, I decided to step in and be the general manager. And that's that was my first full-time year. Before that, I was part-time consulting with True Tech. Okay, and at the same time, you were like doing other jobs as well, right? Um... Yeah, I was still uh, working as a product manager for a manufacturer, actually of some of the tools that we were selling through this website uh, okay. and attending trade shows and, and networking and things like that. I, I built up a pretty robust network in, in this very small, the smaller fields of HVAC testing and building performance testing. I have a pretty good network of people and I was able to you know, take the trust I built with them and bring that along to the business to have them say, yeah, we want to work with this person and buy from them. Okay, that's great. Uh, but uh, you jumped into business in 2009. Now, 2008 was pretty pretty bad as an economics collapse, which kind of resulted yeah. in, uh, you know, uh, how was that experience like? And now when you see COVID crisis as well, what are some of the things which you would want to share from these two experiences? Sure. In, in 2008, um, I, I think it was because we, we were just so new and we were doing something different. Uh, we actually, one of the, the associations where I'm a board member, uh, before I was a board member, the director of that association had said to me, we need a place where our contractors can buy all these tools in one place. There's too many scattered places to buy them around. They need to have one cohesive point to buy them. So he actually, he planted that seed in my mind too, around the same time that Jim and his dad did. Uh, and, and I think it was just, uh, we, we, were, we were unique. And uh, I mean, I've had people say like, if you could weather 2008, you could weather anything. And then COVID came. Uh, so in March of 2020, uh, Everything was just weird in the world. Uh, around the middle of March, uh, our business started to drop off for about a month. And then it started to come back up again. And by the middle of April, we were back on the track we would thought we, we would be on for the year. And we think it happened for several reasons. One is in, in the US, uh, there was a non-uniformity of 
shutdowns by profession. Uh, and generally speaking, the HVAC profession, because it had so much to do sort of with, you know, public health and safety in a way, uh, keeping warm or, or keeping cool, uh, was considered an essential trade. So the people we sold to were still working in many parts of the United States or coming on and off of work. Because we were a nationally based company, we were able to uh, serve their needs wherever they were. Um, and also the fact that we were e-commerce and there was a, a lot of play, other places, the bricks and mortar places to buy the products uh, were shut down or they had various policies like you call in the order, we'll put it outside, all that kind of thing. So it began to be a little bit of a hassle to do business with bricks and mortar. Uh, and we were just the same old thing. We had already you know, been 13 years in, into doing e-commerce and doing remote delivery. Uh, and other people were just still catching up to that. So it was a, uh, we were there to serve with the right combination of uh, aspects. Absolutely. I think uh, since you guys were already set up for the change, yeah. which was about to happen. So I think yep. that kind of helped you as well along the way. Yeah, definitely. We uh, E-commerce, the, you know, everybody was looking at, oh, now what do we do? And how do we approach it? And we were already working at that game for years, for decade, over decades. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but Bill, at what point of time did you left your job uh, and you, you know, joined True Tech Tools full time? Um, it, it was when the um, working with these two guys, uh, the business had grown um, by a factor of like uh, about four, four X from the okay. first year. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was the the, the original founder and his dad, the dad was like, I don't want to work this hard. I'm old enough to retire. Um, <laughs> you helped me build something, but can you help me find someone to buy it? So mm -hmm. at that time, I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to buy in. His son would like to buy in. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I had to take a look at uh, and make some projections and say, um, how much could we sell? What are our costs? Uh, could I continue to survive? And if I had no salary, how long could I survive? And my wife and I sat down, I think we figured it was about 14 months. Okay. And we thought uh, that would be on, on our savings. Mm -hmm. So we thought we would have a runway of 14 months to get things running smoothly. And we only missed um, paying me a paycheck one, one month. And okay. then we made it up two months later. That's brilliant. So that was the, that was the only little hiccup in the road. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd, I'd be prepared like during COVID actually, um, my business partner and I is now Eric Preston mm -hmm. is my business partner. Um, he and I decided uh, we had a like an emergency plan, uh, like a step down plan. If business went down, what expenses would we save on? And it went down in like four different phases. Okay. And then we're tracking things every week to see where we were on paying for things, buying things, sales, uh, and then be prepared to reduce our salary uh, first before we impacted the employee's salary. So we had a, an emergency plan that we had developed during that time. We never had to put it into effect, but we had an emergency plan. Absolutely, that's brilliant, uh, Bill. But uh, customer service, which I, I listened to you on a couple of podcasts, but mm -hmm. you you have a you know emphasis on customer service and customer yes. delivery. Uh, would love if you could you know uh, give us a bit more uh, your experience in how it should be handled, especially in the e-commerce industry, and. Uh, 
any experiences where you you thought you know it, it really you know touches you that you know sometime a customer may send you know some uh, review of some kind of uh, suggestion uh, any experiences like those as well sure um one of the things that that we say internally a lot is we don't want to sell disappointment so if we, we and we just had a meeting just before we got on the call about uh, with the way things are in terms of availability of products um, and communicating clearly that's another big thing my customer service team as i said your job is to manage clear communication. That that's that's the most important thing you can do, um, because without that, uh, you're you're building on a, a unstable platform if you're not clearly communicating. And no communication is is uh, just as bad sometimes as bad information. Uh, radio silence is bad. So, um, and and then the other thing is another saying we have around here is we want to be the best part of the customer's day, and we because some of our founders were contractors uh, and we work around them. We hear a lot of experiences uh, and we follow them on social media and sort of uh, join different groups where we understand what they encounter every day. They have so many demands on their time. Uh, the last thing they wanna do is be struggling with us and us to be a hassle. So our, our goal is um, for customers, but this also, is true for employees and vendors. We we talk about wanting to be amazing, not just be, not just do what they expected us to do, but to do a little bit more than they expected us to do. So we always try to keep that in mind. Is is our we aim high? Our target's very high. We might fall a little short, mm -hmm. but because we aimed high, falling short may be above where most other people are, and and we just keep on. I don't want to say hammering, but we keep on reiterating that and in the way we do and the way we act internally, again, with our vendors and with our customers to, to aim high. Absolutely. That is brilliant, uh, Bill. Especially in, in the age of social media, uh, the customer services can be invisible. You know, uh, if we mm -hmm. go through Facebook, Instagram, we can see the customer reviews. If people are upset, you know, they, they post there and they express their feelings there. Uh, but it, it is good to see that customer service is in the main focus of two tech tools. And uh, really, you know, uh, that, that's a great thing. Uh, and, and I would say for people listening, it's understanding what customer service means to your customer. It may be very different. Mm -hmm. uh, for us, it's clarity communications, the product description, the product mm -hmm. availability, when they're gonna get it mm -hmm. uh, and managing that whole aspect. Um, you know, sometimes we, we do get bad reviews um, and in social media. And it's, I think it's lately, it's, it's been kind of funny, I say, because the um, some of the reviews will be like, "Hey, I will never buy from True Tech Tools again because this and this happened," and immediately other people will jump to our defense and say, "That can't be. You need That's to nice. tag Bill." The, the, and so we get all these people just rushing to our defense, and it's like. <laughs> Sometimes we mess up, and let, but we need to know. That's that's it. Don't be quiet about it. Let us know. I, I appreciate mistakes. And then a lot of times we've had, say I would say, starting off like negative interactions with customers, but by the end, because we we admit where we're wrong and we extend our hand to help, uh, we end up with a stronger relationship. And they're like, the way you handle that, uh, you know, it was bad before, but I will never deal with anybody except you anymore because you handled it. And it's like a lot of times it's like, we mean, the owner of the company, I'm actually talking to the owner of the company. Yeah, you are. Yeah. I, I, periodically, I get involved with these things because I want to. I never want to lose that touch and feeling of helping a customer. 
Absolutely, I think that's that's exactly what you know every business wants, that connection, yeah. and that's exactly what every consumer wants as well. You know, uh, so that's a great thing, Bill. Uh, you talked about aiming high, you know, setting the targets mm-hmm. high. One thing which I found really interesting is uh, you participated in Inspiration for Contest, uh, yeah. the Tesla one. <laughs> so we'd love if you could, you know, talk more about uh, that contest. Sure. So um, people may have seen this. There was a Super Bowl commercial for something called Inspiration for Contest. Uh, it was it's sponsored, uh, privately sponsored, by the owner of a company called Shift for Payments, Jared Isaacman. He's, he purchased uh, four seats on a SpaceX flight because that's what he's wanted to do. And he's a billionaire and he's got the capital to do okay. that. But he, he wanted to turn it into something that had a lot of tie-ins. Mm-hmm. So in addition to just buying the flight for maybe him and his buddies, mm-hmm. he decided to have uh, four different seats on the flight. His would be the seat of leadership. Uh, there would be another seat for someone who had endured and survived childhood cancer through St. Jude's Research Hospital. Mm -hmm. Another one would be for generosity for a donor who was donated to in a random contest during a time frame donated to St. Jude's. And the fourth seat would be for prosperity for someone who was engaged with his company's website, which we are, Mm -hmm. and his payment systems, which we are, that would qualify you to submit a two-minute video on Twitter. Okay. And then based upon the social media feedback and a panel of judges that he pulled together, uh, which included uh, John Taffer, and who uh, does uh, Bar Rescue TV show, and uh, the CEO of uh, Salesforce, I've forgotten his name. Those were the judges. And then they would come up and they would pull the name of somebody who would go on that space flight. Okay. Okay. That's so, interesting. Um, yeah, so I, I found out later there were uh, not even 100 entrants to this okay. contest. Okay. I think because of the qualifications, the really specific narrow qualifications. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the, the, the consolation prize is getting VIP tickets to see the launch. Okay. So I will get to see that launch of that flight, which is scheduled for September 15th, 2021. That's great, Bill. I, I, I'm looking forward for that photos or videos yeah. which will take out. But yep. it, great, to, great to hear that story, uh, Bill. Uh, so one, one question I'm, I'm really fascinated about is, uh, what are you researching nowadays more about? Any, any specific uh, you know, topic, industry, which, which you can tell us more about? Sure. I'm, I'm uh, in, into looking at what the Internet of Things the IoT can do for our customers in our industry. Um, and it, it addresses a couple of things. It's uh, about providing a, a better quality of experience for the end consumer of, of the HVAC or the building performance, such that a contractor can engage and know when something is not operating correctly. So it's more about sending back alerts but doing it through uh, systems that are easily and inexpensively deployed. Um, not, not to really like, you know, steal information, but it's, it's like uh, monitoring the pulse and the temperature of your equipment, you know, like the bodily functions, those basic parameters, relaying those to a contractor so they can anticipate um, your system and keeping your system up and running correctly. Okay, okay, that's interesting. Uh, 
Bill, at at what point in your career where you were like, you know what, I am made it. Like in terms of you know financials or maybe you know, any moment specific where you felt like, you know what, no, I I did it. Um, I think I'm starting to feel like this the last <laughs> couple of years. I, I think I would have felt like it more without COVID last year, but I would say this year, like we made it through and we've continued to grow. Um, we've now had to put in some automation into our hiring process because we didn't, we used to hire very periodically. We didn't have the need. Now we're hiring more often. And okay. because of that, uh, we have to set up some systems. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I guess the other thing is uh, letting go of a lot of the daily decisions um, makes me feel like now I'm, you know, in charge of the business versus I'm working in the business. You know, they, the the adage is and the, the business programs I've taken part in is you want to spend more time working on the business than in the business. I think that's a Michael Gerber uh, line that he says. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Uh, I, I believe you you might be reading a lot of books. Uh, any, any I, I read a, parts of a lot of books. <laughs> <laughs> and and okay. I read a lot of articles. Um, okay. So okay. LinkedIn delivers a lot of good clips of information. Some things I read on Medium. Uh, I have a friend of mine who's now a, a, a business writer on Medium. So I follow okay. all the things that he writes. Okay. Um, I do a little writing myself. I now write for a sustainability journal. Okay. Uh, just okay. had my first article published a couple weeks ago, a week ago. Oh, nice. That's great. That's great. Uh, I remember you were talking about a book about your family and uh, the origins of that. Mm -hmm. So would love if you could, you know, uh, tell us more about that as well. You mean like going back to my, the immigration of uh, my yes. ancestors? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, my, uh, both my grandfathers, all, all four of my grandparents were from Sicily. Okay. Uh, and my my uh, my maternal grandfather, my mom's father, uh, I didn't know him because he died two years before I was born. But I've okay. started to I spent a lot of time. Well, my hobby is genealogy and okay. ancestry. Okay. Uh, so I, I try to look at records and look and look things up. So try to piece together their story um, of, of what things are like. And uh, he left. Uh, uh, he worked in the coal uh, the sulfur mines in Sicily. Okay. and left there to uh, to work in the, the vineyards of near Buffalo, New York, and then okay. eventually to work in the coal mines of uh, Northwestern Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. But uh, I based, my mom, she's passed away, but my mom told the story about how he wanted to move from the coal area near Wilkes-Barre mm -hmm. to get out of there because of uh, an explosion where people were blown up. And I thought it was a mine explosion but I found a newspaper record that it was a gas leak on a house on the street that they lived in. Okay. Okay. So it, it was, it was a, a, an accident, but he just wanted to get, get the heck out of there. So he moved to a town called Rome, New York, which had a, a growing industry and in copper manufacturing, mm -hmm. uh, copper tea kettles, copper pots and pans, mm -hmm. uh, copper wire, copper pipe. And so his, sons he had 11 sons okay <laughs> uh, worked worked generally in the mills up there uh okay. work, working on that and were machinists so uh he he also was i think he was uh you know he was an entrepreneur he in his own way he bought some land he had cows on the land um unfortunately one year the cows died of carbon monoxide poisoning 
Okay. Uh, which funny because in my experience, I'm an expert witness in carbon monoxide poisoning. So okay. this is like two like weird connections there. Yes. And then the uh, the uh, the government bought his land from him, uh, his pride and joy, because they wanted to put in a military base. So he was forced to sell his land, uh, which I'm sure was very disappointing for him at, at the time. So he had his trials and tribulations too. And this is like, I never knew the man, but I pieced together the story uh, looking at historical records. Absolutely. That's, that is inspiring, Bill. I think uh, if you, have you started writing this book or uh, is, is it complete? Uh, it's not completed. It's still like in a draft form. Um, but I, you know, pulled together the facts and the excerpts from the newspaper stories and the photographs and things that I can uh, put together. Um, I, I think you know, someday I'll write it, not uh, not today. Another, I will share another interesting story related to genealogical research. Mm -hmm. uh, again, my hobby. I've done a number of DNA tests to okay. to find and and associate with relatives. Mm -hmm. uh, in one DNA test, uh, a match popped up in 2016, there was a very close match and it was someone I didn't know. I okay. later came to find out one of my cousins had a child out of wedlock that was put up for adoption immediately after birth, days after birth, and he never knew his parents. That's interesting. That's... So I was able to, uh, he, I reached out to him and we got in touch and within three months, we had solved the mystery of who he was related to, who his parents were. I think Billy, it takes a lot of persistence, you know, to do yeah. multiple DNA tests. So I think this is inspiring. I think you should definitely include this section in the book as well. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. So Bill, uh, so I'm in my early twenties. Uh, I want to understand from your side, when you look back at your early twenties, how do you see yourself? Um, I was very focused on raising a family. Mm. I started out young, uh, 22, okay. uh, with okay. children. Uh, so I was very focused on um, taking care of my family, mm -hmm. um, but also um, minding my career. Mm -hmm. um, I did do some things like I, uh, part of it was to, to make a little bit more money, but part of it was to expand. Uh, my career was to, uh, to be a teacher, uh, okay. to be in a, uh, in a community college, Mm -hmm. um, to, to teach some classes, to make a little bit of extra money, but also to get up in front of people and teach them something. That's something I was good at. It was mechanics, mechanical engineering. And I did that because I, I think when you teach, you better learn a subject. So that's why I tend to give a lot of presentations. I've forced myself to give presentations on something I have some knowledge on, but I feel responsible for getting more knowledge on it in order to be able to convey the topic. So I, I push myself into a, a new, a new, a little bit into a new field. Uh, I know a fringe of where I'm at um, to, to put myself on the spot uh, to do something. And I don't like letting people down. So that makes me have to do it. Otherwise, if I just said, oh, I'm going to become better at this. Well, like when and why? But if I say, I'm going to give a presentation in April on this subject, which is an extension of something I know, I got to be prepared for that Absolutely. presentation. True, true. Yeah, my, 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 um, I create an external force to pull. Absolutely, that's brilliant, um, Bill. I think Jim Rohn and I heard this from Jim Rohn's one of the videos that the more you share, the more you learn. 
So I think yeah. it kind of coincides with what you're saying here as well. So that's great. Uh, Bill, you have been in the e-commerce industry for more than 12, 13 years now. Uh, what advice would you give to someone who want to build an e-commerce business? What are the key things one should focus on? Um, I, I think you need to understand your product, which mm -hmm. I did because I had sold them before, patented, you know, so I, I really understood how the products work. Mm -hmm. So I could uh, very clearly choose the ones I wanted to sell mm -hmm. and also very clearly promote them in sometimes unique ways. Uh, because the manufacturer has a linear way of thinking, but I've seen, you know, multiple manufacturers. So I may have a different way of, of thinking and presenting them something unique. So, so know your product, um, know how e-commerce functions and know your costs and, you know, put, put effort into studying how e-commerce works uh, it, because that's, it's just a whole a whole subject area that you have to fit into, um, and, and look look at things like you know do do you want to do pay per click advertising, do you want to go with SEO, do you want to write a blog that directs people back to your site? There are just so many tools. Do you want to be on social media? Um, and then the other thing is it's a, a you know an old saying, but it's fail fast, uh, try something, but don't try it like you, you, you know, you're, you're planning, you're going to use it in a year. You may not use this feature or function in a year, um, but evaluate as you go along, be ready to invest in something and be ready to abandon it and to take a different path. And, and we've done that on different occasions. The other thing is when, when you recognize you're moving out of your area of competency, uh, look at hiring uh, consultants, partners, uh, services, uh, to to assist you, um, it's, in some ways, like there, there's a lot of um, e-commerce systems out there, like Shopify and Big Commerce and WooCommerce and its derivatives, uh, that will assist you in getting started. Uh, but understand how it scales, understand how the cost scales, and at some point you may need to make a shift to um, more of a build-yourself system rather than a packaged system. Uh, the build yourself system will give you flexibility to deliver the way you want to, uh, and it may come at a lower cost, whereas the package system uh, that has real high marketing costs <laughs> needs to fill those high marketing costs by charging a lot for the services. So uh, we, we don't fit with a package system anymore. Uh, we've, we've got a semi-custom system. So we, we started with uh, a small provider and we've continued to grow and clone and plug things in uh, to them. But we, we get a lot of compliments on the fact that we, like a lot of people come to us and just say, hey, we want to offer you this new payment system. We want to offer you this new marketing system. We want to offer you this. And we entertain them um, and then sometimes experiment. But again, just you know, be ready to turn it on, evaluate, turn it off, keep doing it, negotiate, that kind of thing. So it's you always have to be um, experimenting, try, trying new things. And, but un understand where you start from, look, look at your projected costs and see if you, know, you, you can sustain that. Absolutely. I think uh, nowadays with a lot of investors you know, pumping a lot of money into e-commerce, uh, do you think we sometimes neglect the branding side of things uh, in, in comparison to having more sales or, you know, uh, how do you see branding in, in e-commerce? 
That, that's interesting because I just had a conversation yesterday morning with somebody. It, mm-hmm. The question was, is True Tech a brand? Um, and that's like, when, when do you know if you're a brand or not? And I guess it's the way the conversation went. It's, it's when you have sort of brand attributes that are unique from the products you sell. Okay. That, that, okay. Was, that was an insight uh, that I gained there. And I, I think we did not have a plan laid out to build a brand, but we built a brand because we had this, again, going back to this focus on customer service, on clarity of communication, on understanding our value and where we fit in the matrix of things. And, and you know, saying a comment like this, it sort of goes against the comment, but it's about being humble. <laughs> so I'm bragging about being humble. <laughs> um, just like, okay, I, I know we did that, but that's, that's what we do. That's what we're all about. We're just, we're just going to keep on doing it again. And, and a, a saying I like to keep in my mind, I talked to our team about is we have competitors. Everyone has competitors, um, but nobody does it the way we do it. And it, we don't do it to be different, but we do it because we think that's the way. And we do have to look at competition. Um, hopefully they're in the rear view mirror or they're on the side and they're not in front of us, but we should clear that all away and we should put the customer in front of us, serving the customer, listening to the customer feedback, taking care of them. Cause it's ultimately, it's not a, to me, it's not about the competition. It's about the customer. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense, Bill. Thank you for that insight. Uh, you started out in 2009. Uh, at, at that point of time, what were the major channels which were driving revenue or sales? Was it more on the SEO side, organic side, or uh, was it more of a paid media which you were doing at that point of time? Uh, so we never done like any print advertising. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were we did start with uh, Google ads uh, at the time. And mm-hmm. um, I think at that time there was also Yahoo, uh, which then became Microsoft and Bing advertising. Um, we, we also, we started, because we had this, because uh, my partner at the time, Jim, was an educator, he wrote great content. Mm-hmm. So we got a lot of SEO. Mm-hmm. And we also had our own networks of people that mm-hmm. once they found out about us, they talked about that to their colleagues. So we had a lot of word of mouth building things. Okay. Uh, we, we also had some, some luck from our network um, that there were, um, some consultant groups working mm-hmm. on programs with uh, energy companies with utilities, mm-hmm. and they wanted to outfit contractors with tools to reduce the energy consumption of air conditioning systems for utilities. So the consultants, I knew the people who work for the consultants, they said, hey, can you give us these packages of products across all these different brands? Mm-hmm. And can you make sure that you have them in stock and you service us with spare parts? And it's like, yes, we can do that. <laughs> so... Um, that, 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 you know, we were able to, uh, understand the customer's needs and take care of them. Absolutely. And so the connections part kind of helped you there as well. Uh, yeah. so that's, that's great. Awesome. Yeah. And, and it even like, uh, just last month, one of my old connections, um, they, they've seen a, they need to start making their product again, mm-hmm. but they have a little test kit that the last one they made was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And she, she's like, who am I going to call to make these test kits? Nobody makes them anymore. I'm going to call Bill. <laughs> so, 
brilliant. She called me and we're, we're going to make the test kit for it. It's not going to be like, you know, earth shattering kind of sales, but that's the kind of thing we do. If, it, if it's related and we can help somebody, uh, but it, that, that also like takes our company down a little new path of customized kits. So now the next time we get the request, it's like, oh yeah, we did one of those last year. Let, we know we know better how to do that better this year. Right. So again, just sort of incremental steps. So it's a long game of chess is what we're playing. Absolutely. I, I do play chess sometimes. I, I play it this okay. Yes, I, I played it. Oh, you do? Game. Wow. Yeah. But awesome. uh, it's a common thing between us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Bill, I saw the video of your modular uh, net zero home, right? I, I'm, yes. I haven't seen uh, the complete video yet, but would love if you could you know, explain more about the inspiration or, you know, uh, the idea behind the home. Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm of the age, my wife and I are of the age where we have to think about, you know, retirement and then, you know, where we're going to age in place. And we wanted a, uh, the house we were in at that time uh, didn't have like first one single floor living, which we wanted to have. Uh, so we were in a good position with the company where we had enough that we could, we could build a house. Um, and then we thought about how um, to use all those experiences I had through the building performance side in the good HVAC systems, how could we channel and harness all that knowledge to build something that worked really well? So we ended up looking at something called the passive house concept. Okay. Um, which is, uh, it's a, a program that has a US, a US start, very well adopted in Europe, and now it's back to becoming very strong in the U.S. The Passive House Institute and the Passive House Institute U.S. Um, describe the qualities and characteristics. We decided not to go to the extreme ends of that system, but somewhere in the middle of, uh, of those aspects of six key parameters. And we uh, found a builder uh, that builds in an intriguing way. They build in a factory. They build okay. modules in a factory. So what we like about that is the, um, the fact that it's all under control, all the materials are under roof, they have all the fixtures, all the tools, and things just move along, and everything can be reviewed, uh, assessed, quality control, uh, and then they literally put these large boxes together on the site, and when I say a large box, it's 14 feet wide, 11 feet tall, and 64 feet long. I mean, okay. translate that into metric for you, but that's big. <laughs> it's, it's like 20, 20 tons, something like that of that's, material. That's quite a lot. Yeah. So it gets laid on a foundation, the boxes mm -hmm. get bolted together, and then they start the process of, of finishing them. So um, one of my goals was to make the house net zero, mm -hmm. if I could. Mm -hmm. So we um, were able to take advantage of the tax incentives to put in a solar panel array and to have the house be all electric. Okay. Uh, there's no, in the United States, a lot of people have electric and gas, usually mm -hmm. gas for heating water and space heating okay. um, and, and, and cooking, but in electric for air conditioning. We decided to go all electric, which means mm -hmm. we have to heat, cool, dehumidify, heat water, cook, everything has to be electric. Uh, and we're, we're able to do that. And, and I, I don't have all the figures in place, but our assessment is we will have achieved net zero. That means we'll collect more energy from the sun mm -hmm. than we use during the course of a year. Okay, that's great. Just to confirm, are you in that house right now? Or uh, Yeah, I am. Yeah. Okay, that's great. That's yeah. great. 
<laughs> awesome bill you also have a podcast right this is yes. that is what connected us but uh, first question is how does it feel to be in the other position and not being on the listening position and uh, well, tell us a bit more about your podcast as well sure so yeah, you know me i like to challenge myself i've already done that four times i've i've invited people on my podcast to interview me so yes i so i listened to one of that <laughs> yeah yeah so um it it feels seamless I, I the way i like to think of the podcasts i engage in bo both ways is it's a conversation Absolutely. and we're giving people a chance to sit next to us at the conversation is what we're doing and they can listen to it asynchronously mm -hmm. um and so getting into the podcast i was actually invited into it by a, a phenomenal guy named brian Orr, okay. who started something called the hvacr school Okay. Uh, and he's a very generous guy, owns a company, uh, mm -hmm. co-owner of a company that does HVAC service. Mm -hmm. um, but he does a lot of uh, very uh, technician-oriented topics. Uh, through. He's got an app, he's got a website, he's got a blog, he's got a podcast, he does video, he's got YouTube. Uh, I don't know how he does it. He invited me in in 2017 to okay. help form a network mm -hmm. and liked sort of the style and the topics that I approached a little bit more scientific topics. So that's why it's called building HVAC science. And the idea is building science is that building performance aspect and the HVAC is in the middle of it because that's what controls the environment. And then the building holds the environment together. So there's a little, you know, nuance to the, to the name of it. Um, so I've done around 50 plus episodes now. Yes. Uh, sort of, besides. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Uh, I, I sort of fell off track for a while where I wasn't producing them, but okay. I was recording them. Okay. Uh, but I've fallen back in line with weekly publication uh, of nice. them and I'm lining up more guests. And what the way I like to think of my podcast is things that I find interesting mm -hmm. based upon things that come to me or the past interactions that I have. Mm -hmm. um, I invited one guy, uh, he's, he was a Cub Cuban immigrant uh, okay. His podcast recently published, Jeremy Garcia. Okay. Uh, he, I, I, I found his story inspiring. I invited him on. We, we recorded his, his story. Somebody who listened to his story, who I know, um, we referenced his product. I wrote back to him. I said, I think you're inspirational too. You come on. So we just booked another one for him today. So it's just like things that I find interesting. If other people find them interesting, good for them. If they don't, Absolutely. my listenership will go down. So um, it's just, um, you get some insight into my my thinking. Absolutely. Uh, but it's also interesting. I think it was the fourth episode I did of the Building HVAC Science podcast. I invited on somebody from my network who runs a trade association. Okay. And yeah. uh, short, shortly after that episode, his organization came back and said, we want to do a podcast. Can you help us? I'm like, sure. Okay. So I gave them a bunch of details and then they said, you know what, why don't you just do it for us? We'll pay you. Okay. So <laughs> I have another one called Res Talk, which is okay. for the Residential Energy Services Network, ResNet, mm -hmm. their podcast. Um, they provide the topic and the guest or guests, mm -hmm. and then they just, uh, we have a topic sentence, then they just leave it to me and I deliver yeah. them a final product uh, every two weeks. That's brilliant, uh, Bill. I think one thing which is very interesting about podcasts is there is no other way we could connect, right? Um, no. There's less mm -hmm. chance that, you know, somebody sitting out of India 
could connect with someone like you who have you know been able to accomplish so much so i think it's a great medium to connect with individuals to learn from them and that's why also i also kind of you know started this podcast as well but uh, bill one thing which i want to ask you as a final sort of question is mm-hmm. uh, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs out there you know want to just start out their own business um be, be prepared to work hard and be prepared to have setbacks mm-hmm. um don't hesitate to share your ideas um because you never know who will be able to help you um it may be maybe join with you maybe give you some advice maybe come back a couple years later be your customer or your supplier um and and try to treat everybody well through the process <clears throat> because then you'll have a a network that that you can work with and you you can tap back into and don't don't be afraid to ask for help i would also say uh here from what i've experienced in the us uh small uh, business center small business administration sba uh has a lot of good um inst- instructors and advisors um there there are also uh you know some some good books out there I would say um mandatory reading for anybody who wants to start a business and I mentioned his name already Michael Gerber is a book called The E-Myth Revisited okay E-Myth it's a Revisited. yeah E for entrepreneurs myth M Y T H revisited okay. Okay. um the the subject uh is a, it's a takes you through a story of a fictional person an entrepreneur mm-hmm. but it it prepares you to think in the method of you need to to move from technician to manager to owner uh technician you're going to do the work but as you do the work keep track of how it's done the best way manager now figure out how to teach other people to do the work and and manage how it flows and then owner now you have managers working with you who if you 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 know built it in a, a process where like I know how to enter products on my website. I don't do it anymore, but I know how to do it. I know how to do advertising uh on Google. Do I do it anymore? No, I don't do it. But I understand and I appreciate it. So, uh, you you build it up in in sequence. Absolutely. I think that's a great advice bill. Uh with that, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I I truly You're enjoyed welcome. talking to you, Bill. Same here. I I love your smile. You got a great smile <laughs> and a, and a great uh attitude about you. Great cadence. So I I wish you luck in what you do. Good luck Thank, with the podcast. So Let me know when it publishes. Yep. Absolutely. I'll send all okay. the links to you once it's published. Perfect.